0: So we've been in Philippians the last couple of weeks. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 1. Um, you know, something that, uh, that Morgan hit on last week at the end of chapter 1, uh, verse 28 Twenty-eight says, uh, talking about those Christians who they have no reason to be terrified by their adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you a proof of salvation from God. I know that... Uh, probably all, you know, been aware of what's going on in Afghanistan the last couple of weeks. Um, there's a, a friend of mine who is kind of affiliated with a, a missions organization that has sent some missionaries over there. Previously, they'd sent 22 different missionaries into Afghanistan. They're actually uh, Ugandan missionaries had sent been sent to Afghanistan, and two of them have been able to get out of the country in the last uh, maybe week or so. Twenty of them haven't, and with those twenty they're mostly have cut off contact with them, cut off communication simply because if they're kind of outed, uh their life might be a risk so but I read this verse, and I think on kind of what some of the things that are going on over there, and I think those people that are in that situation they don't need to be afraid they don't we pray that God will uh, remove them from that situation, uh, but if it's will we if it's His will, we also pray that He would give them boldness to stand in the face of those who might be bringing something, might be bringing them the martyr's crown at some point. So we should all remember those folks in our prayers. Um, A couple of things also, another thing that Morgan hit on a few weeks ago, kind of the concept of the the gospel partnership or the common purpose that we have. I mean, you think about Paul and the Philippians, they were in a, a partnership, right? Philippi is the first place where a, a church is planted in Europe, right? Paul leaves Turkey, uh, goes across the Aegean into Greece, plants a, a church in Philippi. They become sort of a uh, support base for him as he continues on in his ministry. He goes on and plants churches in, in uh, Corinth and Athens and some other places, and they helped him financially. They sent things to him. He would send uh, people back to them to encourage them and continue to. I mean, it's what he's doing in this letter. He's continuing uh, to serve them through his leadership, um, they have a, a partnership there uh, for the for the gospel, and I want to kind of keep that that concept in mind as we read through uh, these verses today. That concept of a of a of a common purpose. So we're going to go to chapter two, verse one. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love Anybody? Just curious. Um, so you see two kind of things that kind of pop out in this first kind of section here. One of them is unity, and one is humility or selflessness. You know, I feel like uh, I read these verses or these principles a lot uh, with our kids, right? Because so, it's so unnatural to want to be considering another person the same way that we consider ourselves. You know, Paul says something very similar in Ephesians 5. Talking about marriage says, husbands, uh, love your wives in the exact same way that you love yourself, right? Love your wives like you love yourself. Uh, Nobody neglects their own body. Everybody takes care of it. Well, you should naturally want to take care of your wife in the same capacity, right? Well, that principle is true within marriage, but it's also true within the church at large. I mean, it's going to play out in a little bit different fashion, of course, but we should within, hopefully... We should within uh, within the church be concerned with the betterment of another in the same way that we're concerned with the betterment of ourselves. You know, there's a like I say, I feel like I kind of give this principle. You know, sharing is caring to our kids. You know, all the time, like uh, you know, let your let your sister have the last cookie. You know, or let your brother use the markers. Right, something like that. I mean, it's we're not we're not naturally wanting to do something else for ourselves. We just have to kind of beat it into their heads all the time. I can remember um, something my mom told me when I was like probably seven, and we're sitting you know, at dinner, and I must have been the only kid left in the room, and there's only one piece of dessert left, whatever that was. And, of course, she gave it to me. That's what moms do, right? She gives it to me, and I'm eating the cake and enjoying it, I'm sure. And she looks at me, and she says, uh, you know, when you're a grown-up, you'll let somebody else have the last piece. And that, like, blew my mind. Seriously. I mean, 30-something years later, I remember her saying that because it's so just like, what? I'm not going to let somebody else have the last piece. What's wrong with you, crazy parents? Anyway, so that's their attitude as a kid, right? But now I can think of, you know, it's been so beat into into my head, you know, as a kid, and we kind of beat that principle into our kids' heads. Now I can think of being in like a family dinner or maybe like a life group dinner and there's like one piece of something left and there'll be four dudes standing around it and nobody wants to eat it. <laughs> you know, because none of us want to be that guy. No, no, somebody else can have it right now. Go ahead, you know. But uh, that's what we're called to, right? We're called to humility, serving others in the same capacity that we serve ourselves. That's one thing that Paul gives us here. Another one he gives us here is Unity. And uh, you know, I feel like uh, we sometimes we get kind of the wrong uh, impression of this kind of concept pushed on us from society. Right? You kind of hear the concept of like uh, diversity makes us stronger and things like that a lot in society, which is sort of half true. Right? It's sort of half true. Diversity of ability makes us stronger, but diversity of purpose makes us weaker. If I'm working on one thing, and you're working on one thing, and you're working on one thing, we're all going to go in separate directions and nothing's going to work. None of us are going to get done what we want, right? We need a unity of purpose while we have a diversity of capability. I always think of a good picture of this as like a football team, right? So you you need a bunch of really big dudes that weigh like 350, uh, to play offensive line. You need some tall guys that are really fast. that can run down a field and jump high and make a catch, right? You need some guys that are kind of strong and kind of fast to run the ball. And then you need somebody who can throw the ball for 70 yards, right? You need a, a diversity of ability, but you got to be on the same page, right? If, uh, if Tom Brady calls for a pass, but all the offensive linemen do run blocking, you know, you're going to get a penalty, right? It's not going to work you got to be on the same page. So we have to be within, we have to have a unity of purpose. That's true, obviously, for the church. That's true for any organization. If any organization doesn't have unity in their purpose, it's not going to work. And that's what we're called to within the church, unity and humility or selflessness. And so you think about, okay, we're supposed to uh, use these things. We're supposed to use these things to help accomplish our purpose. Well, what is our purpose as a church? Uh, and every church plays this out a little bit differently, depending on where they are and and uh, different things like that. But kind of the common purpose that goes across every church, I would go back to Matthew 28, right? The Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So you get two kind of main purposes there. One is discipleship, which is just us helping each other be more like Jesus. And the other is evangelism, which is going to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. That's pretty much it, right? Those are the two main purposes the church has been given. And in order to carry those things out, then we need to be using unity and humility, right? So how do you use that within, think of within the church, right? In the process of discipleship, how do we use humility there, right? Well, so, I mean, we're in a church. People get their feelings in a church. If you've hung around a church long enough, somebody's going to hurt your feelings, and you're going to hurt somebody else's feelings. We're a bunch of sinners. We're a hospital, right? We're not a perfection group or something. When we're having our toes stepped on or when there's some kind of thing that is uh, causing us friction, what do we do? We we are concerned with the other persons being made more like Jesus as opposed to having just to heck with that person. Screw it. We want that person to become more like Christ and we want ourselves to be more like coming like Christ in the same situation. That should be our goal. Our goal should be that we become more like Jesus and that helps us to reach out. What about, uh, what about an evangelism? Humility and evangelism or, or reaching out to people outside the church. Um, this is one I kind of struggle with sometimes. I can remember being at uh, the last men's retreat, which was a really good time. We got a new one coming up in January, guys. It's going to be a good time. But the last men's retreat, we're in uh, we're in the cafeteria. We're going through to get breakfast or whatever meal we're getting. And some of the people that are serving, one of the guys that's serving is this dude with a whole bunch of tattoos. And he's got some earrings in. And one of the earrings that, like, made his. His earlobe come down, maybe stretched out like six inches or something, kind of crazy. And I can remember just thinking, wow oh man, that dude needs to do something with his ear. <laughs> you know. But Frank is a couple of people ahead of me in line. And Frank goes, Hey man, that's really cool. How long did it take you to get your ear like that? And then the guy's like, Oh, well, I started with a small thing, and then I made a bigger thing, and this and that, and kind of gave the whole the whole spiel on how it happened. And I thought, wow, what a great bridge, right? What a great way to step outside the box and get some kind of interaction with somebody who might not know Jesus. It was great. And I think, you know, instead of looking at somebody and having a, a kind of negative preconceived notion, look at them with a concept, well, they're, they're also in the image of Christ in the same fashion that I am, and I need to be reaching out to them regardless of what uh, preconceived notion I might have about them. So we need to have unity and humility and selflessness in order to carry out this purpose that we've been given. So what's a good example of humility and common purpose? It's Jesus, right? Jesus is the best example of everything. He says, let this mind be in you, which is like Christ Jesus. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? We're supposed to be uh, pursuing Christ likeness. I mean, that's what Christian means, right? Little Christ. That's what we're supposed to be pursuing. He says, be humble like Jesus, right? Um, So, you know, within kind of traditional, Christian orthodoxy. We teach that uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man, right? And we teach that because the Bible teaches that. A few times I've had uh, within a course of a conversation or something, somebody say to me, well, you know, Jesus never said that he was God or the Bible doesn't say that he was God. And I always say, well, you haven't read the Bible because it's all over the place. Uh, you know, John chapter one. What it say? It says uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Everything that was created was created by Him. So He's eternal, right? He is distinct from the Father. He has the fullness of deity in Himself, and everything that was made was made out of Him, right? He's God, and there's a ton of other, a ton of other places that that build that concept. One of them being here, right? He says He's in the form of God, right? Or the nature of God. That Greek term there is morphe, uh, which is where we get morph, right? Like mighty Morphin power rangers, right? That's the term that is used for him. He's in the form, in the nature of God. He is equal with God, right? Equal. The Greek term there is isos, which is where we get like isosceles, right? Like equal sides. He is equal with God in every conceivable fashion, and yet he doesn't hold on to that. Instead, he comes down and also becomes in the form or the nature, the morphe of a bondservant, of a human. So he's already God. Now he becomes man. And, you know, you think about all of the uncomfortable and embarrassing things that happen to men or happen to people, right? I mean, you get get sick, stub your toe, skin your knee. People make fun of you. He went through puberty. He probably had his voice crack, you know. Things like that. He willingly steps down to take on all of that. It also says that he, he didn't use equality with God to be his advantage. You know, some people also kind of ask the question, well, okay, did, did Jesus stop being God when he came down here? Like, was he God and then he came down and he's just Jesus and then he's, he's God again? How does that work? No, he, he never stopped being God. He was always The fullness of God. He comes down here and doesn't use some of those advantages that he could have. I mean, I think about, you know, I think about my oldest son, right? He's 15. And now at 15, I mean, he's in great shape. He's a rock climber, runs cross country. He's in great shape. He'll run circles around me. But it wasn't always that way. When he was like seven or eight, I remember buying a, a basketball hoop that you could roll in and out of your garage and we'd play basketball you know, Jimmy actually helped me put that thing together. Remember that? Thank you, Jimmy. <clears throat> and we play basketball. And when he's seven or eight, I'm twice his size. And so if I wanted to, just snatch the ball and dunk on him every single time. Snatch the ball, dunk on him. Snatch the ball, dunk on him, right? I could have. I didn't because I wanted to have an experience with him at his level, right? Jesus could have easily avoided all of this. He, could have, he never gave up his ability as God. He never gave up his godness, right? But he entered down here and limited himself to our playing field because he wanted to have an experience with us because he loves us. And I think that's important to remember. He's always God. He always had the capability to not be in these circumstances, but he always chose to be in these circumstances because of his love for us. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. All right, so he's God in heaven, uh, dwelling in glory, angels are singing in praise, all kind of good stuff, comes down here to become a man and all the, all the uncomfortable things that happens to, to men, to humans. But he goes even beyond that, he goes all the way to death, right? And not even just regular death, death on a cross. His death, I mean, if you've ever seen The, the Passion of the Christ, the movie, uh, that's a pretty good representation of what would have happened. His physical death would have been brutal. I mean, way beyond what what anybody would want to go through, obviously. But even beyond that, even beyond his physical death, what's he say? He's on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a moment there, right, where the wrath of God, the Father is separate from the Son in a way that's never been. He's pouring the wrath out that we all deserve. He's enduring something that is really inconceivable to us. He had something that is really inconceivable to us. He gives it up and he comes down <clears throat> and he endures something which is inconceivable to us because he loves us. Praise the Lord. So we have a we have a purpose, right? We have a common purpose that will require unity and humility on our part. Jesus shows us that. Now, that purpose for Jesus was costly. It cost him heaven and glory. It cost him death. It was costly for him. If you think about the disciples, right? The apostles. It was costly for them. Their interaction, uh, their their role to play in their common purpose was costly. You think about Paul. Paul gave up a career. Paul was a Pharisee. He was going to be like super Pharisee. He gave it up. He got executed. Peter gave up being uh, a businessman, right? He had a fishing business. He gave that up. Nicodemus gave up his reputation. Barnabas gave up his wealth. They gave up a lot. It was costly for them as they entered into this relationship with Christ, into that purpose that they've been given. And, you know, we don't like the concept of giving things up. Nobody does. I don't like it. Nobody does. But that relationship, that purpose that we have been called into is going to be costly for us too in some capacity. And it's not... That's not something that would be unusual. Think about about a marriage, right? Think about a marriage. There's a whole bunch of guys that I used to hang out with that I never talk to anymore because my commitment now is to my wife and to my family. It's not because there's anything wrong with those guys necessarily, but I'm committed here. So I've lost some of relationships because of that commitment. That's true of any marriage. It's true of any family, Right? It's true of anything else we do in our life. If we commit to a sport, if we commit to a business, we end up losing certain things because we're committed there. Well, we need to be committed to Christ and to His purpose. And if it hasn't cost us something yet, then maybe we're not really committed to it. Commitment to Christ uh, will be costly. There's a guy I was talking to uh, a week or so ago. He's a he's an evangelist, right? He also runs like a, a sober house. It's actually his son. It's kind of funny the way it kind of turned out. His son got into drugs, and some of his buddies were into drugs. And he tried to start this place where they could, and he didn't. He's like, "What do I do? My my kids all messed up on drugs. What do I do?" So he's like, "Well, I'm just gonna bring him and his buddies in, and we'll just read the Bible together." So him and his buddies, and you know, they all just started reading the Bible, and it helped get some of these guys clean, and he's like, man, this is just what God wants me to do. So now he runs a sober house, and that's what he does uh, partially full-time. He has a lot of these guys with addictions coming in. He also goes around to, a, I mean, goes and preaches in a lot of different places. Anyway, he was telling me the other day, he's 76. He was telling me the other day when he was, you know, 30 or 40 or something, he had like a, like a regular job with a pension. And he says, well, I'm 76 now, and I'm still preaching the gospel everywhere because I ain't got no pension. <laughs> I left the job with a pension a long time ago. You know, we're not all called to that. We're not all called to sell our house and move to Africa or leave the job with a pension and go preach the gospel. We're not all called to to that. But we're all called to some kind of commitment to Christ because we all have a role in Christ's kingdom that he wants us to fill, to to carry out. And that role is going to cost us something. And we should be okay with that. It's not easy to be okay with that, but we should be. So there's a unity and a humility that we need to go into our common purpose, right? Our common purpose is going to be costly to us, but that purpose is also, that cost is going to be worth it. Think about, think about a marriage, first of all, right? Marriage is great. It was way, it was way better than all the foolishness I had with, uh, with my buddies, right? Let's go back to verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, there's back to the whole Jesus is God thing. This verse comes out of Isaiah, and in Isaiah, God is saying this about himself. He says, the father is saying this about himself. Paul takes this, applies it to Jesus. Jesus is God, right? So think about, think about what comes out of uh, Christ's situation, right? He had glory, he had greatness, comes down here in debt that cost him a lot. But then that's not the end of the story. He resurrects, now he's exalted to the right hand of the Father. He's king over all creation. He's already ahead of all the old creation. Colossians says now he's the firstborn over all the new creation, right? What he has now was greater than what he had before. I mean, read the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, those are good. Revelation 21 and 22, those are better. The cost was worth it. For Christ, the cost was worth it. For the disciples, think about think about the disciples. You could say, okay, well, Paul uh, Paul gave up his career and he got stoned and spit on a bunch of bad stuff, and then he got executed. You could say that, or you could say, Paul saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Such a glory it made him blind. Paul got snatched up to the third heaven, saw the dwelling place of God. Paul's on a on a mission trip uh, on Cyprus or somewhere. Some dude interferes with the telling of the gospel and Paul smites him with blindness. You're gonna be blind because you got in the way. Imagine the power of that experience. You think that's better than having a a nice career? You bet it is, man. Think about about Peter, right? Same thing. You could say Peter, okay, well, he lost his business. Uh, He got executed. You could say that. Or you could say... Peter, man, Peter preached the very first sermon, tongues of fire sitting on his head, all kind of amazing stuff happening. 3,000 people come to faith. Peter's so overflowing with the Holy Spirit that people say, hey, man, just get, get in his shadow. Just go lay down in his shadow and you'll be healed. Think about that. I mean, think about the power of those things. And certainly, certainly the Spirit worked in a certain capacity with the apostles that he doesn't do with all of us on a, on, a, on a normal basis, right? He doesn't do it in the same fashion today. But that doesn't mean that what he gives us now isn't just as fulfilling and just as powerful of an experience. This guy, right, this 76-year-old who, uh, who left the pension, he's an evangelist doing all this stuff with addicts and different things. He also goes to North Africa, uh, to Morocco and some other places over there uh, sharing a gospel, and he's, I mean, he's converted some Muslims and he's got Muslims converting other Muslims. I mean, he's, he's multiplying over there. The Lord is using that. He was telling me this story of, uh, they've got this, you know, compound over there where a lot of the Christians will be. And, uh, you know, they've got kids in there and, and women and children in there and they bring in, uh, like backpacks and clothes and food and, you know, just things like that to help, help their physical needs. Well, It's a bunch of people that have converted to Christianity that are getting a lot of material gain. Well, those, I mean, like the fundamentalist Muslims on the outside, they don't like that. They don't like they converted. They don't like they're getting stuff. So there was a a day when a whole bunch of them, a bunch of people out in town kind of rushed the compound. And they're throwing rocks and throwing like Molotov cocktails and different things like that, causing some pretty serious problems. And everybody within came together and just started praying. I mean, what else do you do? nothing else to do. They all came together and started praying. And then all of a sudden, the whole thing just, just went quiet. And they looked out the window, and it looks like everybody's just dropping rocks and dropped their stuff and ran away. They're like, praise God. Well, a couple days go by, somebody who I guess had been involved in the assault comes and asks one of them, says, hey, uh, hey, where'd the soldiers come from? He says, soldiers? What are you talking about? We got any soldiers around here? Yeah, the soldiers. There were a whole bunch of soldiers on the roof. They had AKs. They're all decked out in, in military garb. Where'd they come from? They said, I don't know. We ain't got any soldiers around here. That was God. That was God protecting his people. How that played out, I don't know. I don't know how that played out. But I know that God pr- protected his people. And imagine the faith and the imagine the joy that will come out of a situation like that. Oh my goodness, man. God is, is saving our lives. It's going to be... Costly our commitment to Jesus, but the cost is going to be worth it. And we should not be concerned in a negative fashion over those things that might cost us. Instead, we should embrace the joy and the fulfillment that can come with a closer relationship with Jesus. I mean, think about Paul. Paul's in prison. He mentions joy all the time in this this book because of the fulfillment and the satisfaction he has in Christ. It's not from worldly stuff. Um, You know, I think about... uh, I always think about Tom Brady in this kind of concept, right? About where you find your fulfillment, where you find the stuff that makes you happy. A couple of years ago, this is before Brady's I mean, this is probably Brady's fifth Super Bowl, maybe, I don't know. A couple of Super Bowls ago. He did a he did an interview with uh, it was before the one they played against the Seahawks, before that Super Bowl. He did an interview with 60 Minutes, and 60 Minutes was saying, or the the you know, reporter was saying, hey, uh so, Tom, you know, you're almost 40. You know, you got a bunch of Super Bowl rings. Uh, you know, you got all this money. You know, what, what's up, man? What's, what's next? And Tom Brady said, you can probably still Google it. I'm sure it's still out there. Tom Brady said, I don't know. I hope there's something more. Like, something more? Are you serious? You're Tom Brady. You got, like, all the money you want for playing football. You know, you, got, you're like, you have, like, the American dream life, and you want something else? Without Christ, all that stuff is hollow. It's useless, and it's passing away. John says the lust of this world, the world is passing away and the lust thereof, but those uh, who are in God abide forever, right? The stuff that we really want, the stuff that's gonna really give satisfaction is in Christ. So if we lose some things along the way from a worldly perspective, it's totally worth it. Let's, uh, Let's go to the Lord.